WSL. We've got a little bit of a different vibe today. Alex is off sunning herself in Barcelona, going to museums, drinking sangria, buying lots of Barcelona merch, sending me photos of the Champions League final score, you know, all the things Alex likes to do. So it's just me and Abdullah here to discuss the first weekend of the WSL that has wrapped up and it was about as bonkers as we are all used to by now what did you make of it Abdullah never a dull moment in the WSL is it you know we start off with a bang not to mention the the Arsenal Chelsea game the City Everton game I mean we got some bangers of games to start off the weekend just from the fixture list and then the actual results were just as insane as as they should be so you know never a dull moment so you know I'm, I'm excited for football to be back yeah, that is certainly true. So there was an impressive win for Arsenal against Chelsea, whilst Manchester City shook off their sluggish midweek draw in the Champions League to thrash Everton. Tottenham and Villa picked up important wins and United perhaps took some of us by surprise with their performance. Um, and so at the end of the first week, Manchester City at top of the table on goal difference with Everton bottom and, you know, kind of everyone's in the mix there. It's a first week table just doesn't it's just three points or zero points basically so we'll get straight into it with the biggest game of the weekend the box-to-box derby Arsenal versus Chelsea I'm actually worried that because Alex isn't here it looks like we in a fit of fury at losing this game have chucked her off the pod um but hopefully we will get a little um snippet of Alex's takes that that we can drop in if if she takes time from her, her holiday Um, we've heard that she did manage to catch some of the game and I'm sure she's feeling smug. So, Arsenal three, Chelsea two, goals from Miedema and two from Beth Mead. Uh, Chelsea goals from Cuthbert and Harder. This was Arsenal's first win at home to Chelsea in WSL in eight years and their first win over Chelsea or City since 2018. Chelsea were playing their new look back three. Um, Emma Hayes implied after the game in a post-match that she is going to stick with it. It's going to be a process. So that's not going away anytime soon. And just a little bit of controversy was that the second Beth Mead goal was very clearly offside and, and not ruled out. So, Abdullah, it wasn't the start to the season Chelsea would have wanted. What did you make of it? Lots to unpack in this game. Um, it's, you know what, like, Chelsea lost, obviously. And it was uh, it was an end-to-end game. It was... I mean, I think for the neutral and probably for Arsenal fans, it was a fun game to watch, right? I mean, three goals to two, five goals thriller, you know, one, one, nil, one, one, two, one, three, one, three, two. You, know, you couldn't have asked for a better start to a game. But I think um, upon reflection and upon doing a full podcast yesterday on this game as well, you know, having thought about it, like, yes, there are defensive frailties let's put it out there no one's denying the fact that this that that there weren't and Arsenal took advantage of where the defensive frailties were and and yes obviously we've all been kind of talking about where they are you know between the fullback and center back the center backs you know but we got to think about two things it's a brand new system Chelsea played one or two games in preseason with this which 
they aren't and they haven't been extremely competitive games. Arsenal have still had, you know, you know, have had competitive games and they've, you know, been with Andoval longer. The, you know, the, they're much further down the process as, you know, than, than Chelsea. And I think it clearly showed that one team was comfortable in their system and the other team was still getting used to it. However, having said that, Chelsea going forward had flashes of brilliance. I mean, uh, even with England, uh, Cuthbert and, and, and Harder, there were moments that they did they did well, but especially when when Kirby and and Kerr and and Harder started playing t- together, you saw the flashes of the old, you know, the old trio and how they could do. And you know what we can expect from this front four. We've had and we had some good standout performances. I think Wrighton uh, was was great going forward at wing back. Cuthbert, whether it's a ten or as a wing back, I think she stood up for me. Uh, probably my man of the match uh, for the game. And an Arsenal just clinical in the counter attack, you know, Beth Mead and Miedema with their pace and their and their trickery. I think they they took full advantage and credit to them for doing it. Yes, second goal was offside, um, but you know, there's no VAR. Ref missed it. Ref missed it. What can we do? Can't can't cry over spilled milk. And you know, we're here. We are. What well, you know? But um, on the on the flip side. It was a great start for, you know, Jonas Andoval. He He's come in. He loved it. His celebration at the end, I think, said it all. But what did you think of the Arsenal side overall? Yeah, I was really impressed. You know, they've obviously looked good um, in those Champions League fixtures they've played, but it's always kind of hard to judge against lesser opposition. But I thought they looked really, really up for it today. Um, I thought the movement of Miedemar and Mead especially was was super impressive. You know, we saw Mead really hugging the the right touchline and then, you know, kind of pulling Ericsson out of position and Miedemar then really exploiting some of those gaps that were forming between Carter Bright and Ericsson. Um, there's a great piece as well that Tim Stillman's done on Ask Log, looking at how, you know, Frieda Marnham and Katie McCabe linked up together, um, you know, Katie McCabe pushing forward and then Frieda Marnham kind of uh, tucking in to, to take up that space at left back. And I thought that was that was really effective. And it, it was interesting because, you know, in these smaller games that we've seen Arsenal play, you know, I, I thought Marnham's looked really good going forward, but it was it was fascinating to see her kind of get involved in, in some of that more more dirty work. Um, I think it was interesting to have kind of Mana Iwabuchi on the on the left. I'm not really sure that worked, but it kind of felt like um, just a decision that needed to be made um, with Caitlin Ford kind of ruled out for this game. Um, I, I still thought, you know, Arsenal looked a bit tentative at the back. You know, there were points where Jem Beattie kind of got caught on the ball and, and didn't look great in, in possession. Um Ditto, I, I did think at points Katie McCabe got a bit caught out when when she was going forward. But, you know, overall, I thought it was um it was a really impressive start. And mentally, you probably can't overstate how important it was for Arsenal to to get a win like this. Um, Emma Hayes, you know, kind of implied after the game she's going to going to stick with this back three. You've kind of touched on it, Abdullah. But but do you think that's the right decision? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm probably going to have to stick with my constant barraging of the fact that I think the back three is the best system that suits this team. So, no, but for real, I think, like she said, right, it's about the process and, and kind of sticking to it and, and kind of going there. We, you know, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day, so I think we need to, you know, we need to take this one game in isolation and say, okay, it was one game, top opposition. I think once they start getting into a groove and the players start understanding how the system works, I think it'll it'll only benefit them further. And you just have to look at the profile of the squad to understand that 
this is the way forward. It's it's not going to be, I don't think it's an overnight switch. They have to get used to it. Like we said, Neem Charles and Wrighton aren't wingbacks. They're, they're wingers. So they're going to have to get used to playing as wingbacks. And maybe it means Anderson comes back in and she does a better job. Maybe it means... Um, you know, some uh, Mielda returns back, or or someone, you know, someone else goes onto the right side. So it, it'll take uh, it'll take a couple of games to get the right mix, but I think it's the right way to go. Um, but you know, speaking of the goals in 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 the in in the game, you know, the second goal from Beth Mead, like we said, was offside, uh, and Emma Hayes said that you know VAR in the women's game is something that needs to needs to come in, and it was Jill Ellis kind of backed that thought overnight. What do you think? Do you think we need it? What do we not need it? When do we need it? Yeah, I think I think it's a tricky one. You know, I think the first thing I thought when I I kind of I didn't realize the goal was offside when I saw it uh, live. Um, but you know, kind of there was like mutterings about it in the press box almost immediately. And my first thought was that you know Emma Hayes will probably really use this because she often likes to to use things like that. I feel like to deflect from from stuff stuff that questions her game. Um, I think generally, I personally feel like. There is way more other stuff to figure out in the women's game than VAR. And, you know, we've seen in the men's game how frustrating it can be also. Um, I don't think, you know, I think it's an easy, like, knee-jerk thing when you've kind of fallen foul to it. And it is something that's particularly frustrating to, to Chelsea because, you know, Jonas Eideval said after the game that one of the ways you can exploit Chelsea is the fact they play such a high line. You know, I think that's correct, but obviously it helps if you exploit the high line by being able to play offside um, because that kind of defeats the point of it. So it's a frustrating thing. I think it's, you know, one of those things that ultimately you just have to accept. As I say, in the Premier League with VAR, we see people get annoyed by decisions that have been taken with that anyway. I think the goal line technology thing is maybe more pressing, you know, we will touch on it later, but, you know, Reading were denied, potentially denied a goal, you know, kind of impossible to tell as a result. And I think that is something that I'd, I'd be keener for um, to see going forward. But yeah, I think ultimately you've just got to hope that across the season, all of these things kind of come out in the wash. So the other, you know, uh, team who will be up as a title challenger, Manchester City, they were at Goodison Park to face Everton for their opening game of the season. I think we were expecting quite a lot from this one. You know, Everton have been really touted as, as a team who could maybe break into that top three this year. And we were pretty sorely disappointed in the end. Uh, Manchester City, you know, kind of comfortably ran out 4-0 winners. Although, interestingly, if you look at, you know, kind of the expected goals from this game, Opta giving it as 0.93 to Everton versus Manchester City's 1.27. So, you know, that's a lot closer than we've seen Everton get before, but it's just unfortunately you don't win football matches based off your actual expected goals. Um, there were debut goals from Vicky Lasada, Bunny Shaw, and then Janine Becky and Steph Horton with a classic Horton here's a who direct free kick. Um, Everton had kind of five debutants. There was a lot of, you know, upheaval in this side. Tony Duggan, Anna Anvergaard, Natalie Bjorn, Aurora Gali, and Kenza Dali all coming into the side while City handed starts to Shaw, Lasada, and Rasso. Um, Abdullah, what, what did you kind of kind of make of this game? I know Willie Kirk um, started off with a back three, but sort of switched it around at half time. What do you think he was kind of going for going into this? And then why didn't it work for you? I mean, I think. First and foremost, I think it's I think partially it's damage limitation. I think City are probably looking like one of the more dangerous, the most dangerous team going into the new season, kind of playing this 3-4-3, 5-3-2 system. I think 
he just wanted defensive security with playing, you know, obviously the three center backs and you had Savecki and Turner as your, as your wing backs and you had uh, or a Dali, Kenza Dali, Izzy Christensen. So you kind of had a very, a mix of like five players at the back who were very defensively minded. I don't think you can think of Savecki or Turner as these marauding fullbacks who are going to, wingbacks going to get forward and, and provide crosses. And I think they wanted the, the protection from Gali and then kind of let Christensen, uh, sorry, Gali, Christensen, Dali, Doggin and Anvergaard kind of just be the industry and creativity in the middle. And I think kind of just going down um, kind of 3-0 in the first half, obviously that kind of blew the, you know, the system into uh, into a big issue. So I guess going into the second half, switching it to almost a 4-4-1-1 or 4, you know, 4-1-4-1, if anything, I think was just to kind of say, all right, we're 3-0 down. Let's get out of this, you know, 5-3-2, because I don't think they're going to be playing three at the back Um for the rest of the season, I think they're going to play more of a four uh, and kind of use more of the midfield and, and maybe get in another attacker against, you know, other teams. So it was maybe just a chance to kind of kind of just get the players to field a new system that I think they're going to go with ultimately going forward. And um, first game of the season, brand new team. You know, you had Dali making her debut, Gali making her debut, Andrigard making her debut, Duggan making her debut, Natalie Bjorn making her debut. So, half that team is new players. They don't, they have to get used to each other. And it's the same thing we talked about Chelsea. They're getting used to a new system. Everton are getting used to a new system with new players. It's not easy. So it's going to take them a couple of weeks, but uh, yeah, I, I think we'll see better days from, from Everton going forward. Um, but, you know, having, having said that great start from city, uh, they were missing Ellie Roebuck, Ellen White, Lauren Hemp, and uh, you know, Kira Walsh, but four nil still emphatic with the players that they had in and that kind of, talks about the depth and strength and depth that they have, you know, is this um, ominous for Chelsea and Arsenal? What do you think? Yeah, I think it was, you know, definitely an assured performance and, you know, a a great one for them. Obviously they had a fairly disappointing draw with um, Real Madrid in in the Champions League in midweek. So, you know, I think this was the perfect way for them to kind of come out and and blow those, those cobwebs off. Um, I didn't always think they looked great and I think this says more about Everton's defensive frailties than it does really about Manchester City but you know like Bunny Shaw getting her first goal you know all of that kind of stuff is going to be just a great boost for for those players within the system um you know I've noticed Gareth Taylor already you know playing it down that they really lacked a preseason. I don't entirely understand why City have lacked a preseason more than other clubs but apparently they have but clearly you know it's a great start for them um, and, you know, I think this is something we'll probably see with City a, a lot this season. They do always have a reputation for, for kind of being able to be flat-track bullies. Obviously, I think the important games will will come when they, they do face Chelsea and Arsenal. Um, but on the other side of Manchester, Manchester United beat Reading 2-0 with goals from Kirsty Hansen and Honor Batier making her debut goal in the WSL. Sad not to get uh, Alex's pronunciation of that on, on here today. Um, no shots on target for, for Reading. They were missing uh, Natasha Dowie and Justine Van Hevermet, um, who are two of the, the forwards that they've brought in. But there was a controversial moment when Brooke Chaplin's shot crashed off the crossbar and looked like it might have crossed the line. Um, the, the referee decided it hadn't, and obviously it's kind of impossible to see from the camera angle. Uh, Skinner dropped 
Militana in favour of Maria Torres Dottir and kind of handed bl- uh, debuts for Hannah Blundell and Vildeboa Risa. Uh, they played Ella Toon as, as a false nine, kind of in the absence of clearly recognised strikers who were, who were fit enough to play. Um, it was the first time we'd seen Skinner's team in the WSL. I kind of felt pretty impressed, actually. Um, I feel a bit sceptical about Skinner. I was worried about Manchester United and, and the departures they, they'd had. And certainly, initially, it seemed like this Ella Toon as a false nine thing was a bit bizarre. You know, we know she is United's creative hub. Almost everything that they they create, shots, goals, goes through her. And initially it felt like she was quite isolated up front. She wasn't getting on the ball. If she was getting on the ball, there was, you know, then nobody in front of her, you know, she was dropping deep to try and pick it up. But as the, as the game went on, um, you know, Hanson and, and Goldson started making those runs. So we, we saw them coming on a bit. And then uh, later we also saw both Martha Thomas and Alessia Russo getting their first minutes for the season. Um, Martha Thomas looked probably about as as you would expect you know she had some presentable opportunities offered to her which which she couldn't finish which I think will probably be a familiar story this season but you know Alessia was so great to see her back on the pitch and I think long term that is who we'll see leading leading the line uh for United um one of the standouts uh performers for me was Hannah Blundell and Abdullah I know in the past you've spoken about kind of feeling that she was underappreciated when she was at Chelsea um how far do you think she can go with this United team I think yeah no I think I think um I feel like she should have had a more of a chance at Chelsea once the injury started piling up last season and I felt like she wasn't given that she wasn't afforded that and, and I guess you know I guess when you when you've um you know if, if if there is an issue if there is you know even a slight doubt in a manager's mind then they won't take a chance so I think it's a good move for Hannah Blundell to come to Manchester United where I think she'll get a lot more game time and I think there isn't as much of an expectation on her this time so kind of you just come in play your natural game and um and just performing and being able to get a run of games I think that's the most important thing for now that she's since her injury she hasn't had a good run of games and I think her playing five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten games on the trot will will give her an advantage. And being one of the few natural, naturally good uh, fullbacks in the league and probably in, in world football right now. You and I were just talking off air um, about you know the, the the lack of good fullback shop options around Europe. You know, so I think I think she'll give them a, a plus point. And not to mention the fact that they've even they've. I mean, they, I mean, I was looking at their. I think I said it in the last episode they've got a lot more fullbacks than they have centre-backs. So there isn't, not like there isn't options, but I think Hannah Blundell stands out for me as, as one of the better ones in this side. And I think the more, the, the more she gets into a rhythm, I think we'll see the best of her uh, come through. But, you know, Reading were lacking some firepower up front today. You know, should Kelly Chambers be concerned? What do you think about Reading? Yeah, I don't know. It was a, it was a hard one. They had um, the 19-year-old Emma Harris up front and and she struggled as, as you'd expect, you know, playing against Torres Dottier and Aoife Mannion to, you know, really well. In Torres Dottier's case, very experienced. Aoife Mannion's obviously very talented, you know, kind of playing some of that first minutes um, after that injury. She hasn't really had much time since her ACL, but yeah, I mean, I think obviously it's just it's just frustrating for for Chambers. You know, Natasha Dowie apparently had a knock. Van Haven mate hasn't got her visa stuff sorted. Um, it's just annoying when you're kind of starting the season on the back foot. But I think there was definitely some positives there. You know, I kind of made a snarky joke at halftime saying that you could 
you could tell who had brought Chelsea's defence and, and who'd brought Bristol City's. But, um, you know, Gemma Evans, who's come in from Bristol City, did ping some some lovely balls um, out from the back for, for Reading. Brooke Chaplin looked great. Um, she was out for lots of last season with illness. Um, and I was really, really Im- impressed with her uh, kind of playing in a, in a sort of like number 10 attacking role. So... You know, I don't think it's a worry for Reading. I think hopefully when they get a bit more firepower up front, um, they'll they'll have better opportunities. And it it just felt like kind of one of those days for them. Um, heading down to my ends, the south coast, Brighton. We're up at the Amex Stadium. I, I wasn't there because I was at the Emirates Stadium. Uh, it's very annoying to be in the opposite place to the games, but they beat West Ham 2-0. Um, goal from Inessa Kagman from the penalty spot standard and from Lee Hyun Min. Uh, West Ham looked dangerous but at the start, but Howard Sissoko was sent off after 30 minutes for handling a goal-bound shot, uh, which if you haven't seen it, I really recommend going to check out because it is quite funny she's almost like flying like superman to to try and try and save the ball but there was straight red for there and you know it was it was quite hard to get a sense of these two teams because the red card came so early on in the game but abdullah do you think you know brighton should have been disappointed not to to score more do you think it was impressive that you know kind of west ham were actually able to keep it relatively tight I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I think West Ham have a pretty decent squad. I know they lost Martha Thomas, and uh, you know, and, and, but they've gained, um, you know, they've gained a couple of good signings. Hawasaga, uh, you know, we've talked about is, is I think probably one of the you know, going to be one of the better signings of the season. I think, but um, I think it's a little bit of both. So I think for for Brighton, they had an xG of one point six six, and they scored two goals. So if anything, they actually outperformed their xG, and you know they they scored more than the chances that they created. So I think in that sense, probably should be pretty happy with that. The fact that you know they aren't a team that's renowned for scoring a ton of goals. So this is actually pretty good. The fact that they they were able to do this, and I think they can build off this fact. But at the same time, West Ham are a decent side, and the fact that you're 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 down to 10 players so early on in the game, you know, 30 minutes in, if you're able to defend and keep the score line, you know, sub three, four goals, all things considered, I think then it's, it's, uh, it, it probably bodes well for them going forward. They can take some positives out of that. But I think overall, um, I think both teams can be, can be relatively happy if I can put it that way, based on their performance, based on the scenario and the situation that they were in. But what did you think of West Ham before the red card? Because you, you just mentioned that, you know, they, they, they look pretty decent. Yeah, I, I was pretty impressed. You know, I thought Adriana Leon looked looked up for it. She almost scored an absolute worldie. Um, and I felt like she was really living her Olympic gold medal fantasy life by the seaside. Um, yeah, I thought, sorry, I don't know how you say her name. Hasegawa, is that it? I think it's Hasegawa, yeah. Hasegawa, I thought she looked really, really good. Um, yeah, and I thought West Ham, like, they still managed to look fairly dangerous on the break, even after the red card. Um, but I thought both of these teams looked fairly open. Uh, I thought looking at Brighton, it, it was fun to see kind of Dan Carter playing in, in a number 10 role. I thought that, that really worked well for them. But I just felt like both these teams, like, when they had, and this was this came up like across a couple of the games, but I don't know if it's just early season nerves, but 
but they'd get players into like decent positions and they'd just be like pulling the trigger on these snapshots. And, you know, Claudia Walker had a couple, Dan Carter had a couple. And I was just like, I just wanted to like yell at them to, you know, like carry on going, move into the penalty area, give yourself a better, better chance of scoring. So it felt like a bit of a frustrating one because of that, you know, it kind of felt quite cagey because of the, because of the red card. Um, I think we won't get a sense of both these teams until we we get a bit further you know West Ham especially still have still have players to come in um so you know I think I think there's more to come but you know great for Brighton I guess to get points on the board and another team who will be very very happy to get points on the board were Aston Villa uh who beat City 2-1 in Carl Ward's first game in charge um this was a bit of a smash and grab uh, 0.76 to 1.85 xg for for Villa there. Um, Tash Flint opened the scoring for Leicester uh, before Remy Allen and Sarah Mailing got two goals in two minutes from their two shots on target to come from behind. Uh, the Sarah Mailing free kick is absolutely outrageous, a, a really good one. Um, I saw Wrighty um, complaining that the Steph Horton free kick was was good, but the wall doesn't jump, which is certainly true uh but this Sarah Mailing one this this had to be free kick of the the weekend for me um I thought uh Aston Villa were very very lucky to come away from this one with three points um I thought they looked very open at the back um Hannah Hampton had she made some great saves and then she had a bit of a mare for for the Flint goal um but you know (laughs) The points count. And like I, I was taking a look and over the past couple of seasons, you know, three wins has been kind of pretty standard. Three wins and a good handful of draws has been pretty standard to keep you up. So it's, it's obviously great for Villa to to have that opportunity there. And put it this way, I thought I thought they looked open, but that's probably because I was just really impressed by Flint and Sixworth and their link up play. And I think they will cause defences real issues um, this season, uh, Abdullah Leicester will be kind of frustrated about losing this one. But is there anything positive they can take from it? Like, what what do you think um, about them going into their next games? Yeah, I mean, if you just, I mean, if we want to take a, we want to take positives out of this, I think it's one of those games where, like you said, is a smash and grab. Aston Villa were lucky. I mean, if Leicester, if anything, they can look at this and go, I think. That, I mean, if we, if you're saying three wins and a handful of draws. I mean, based on this performance, I think Leicester can easily get three wins and a handful of draws, you know, and then survive this season. So um, I think that's one thing. Just look at their XG of 1.85. They created a lot more quality chances than than the one that they scored. So, and the fact that they've got Tash Flint, Jess Sigsworth, players who know how to find the back of the net, who can score goals at, at, at you know, at, at opportunistic times. So... If 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 that's how they played against Aston Villa, and let's 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 be real, they will get opportunities against the likes of Spurs, Birmingham City. These are the type of teams that they're going to want to get their um, their wins against. And I'm pretty sure that these teams, there are times where these other teams are going to be as open and as 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 uh, you know, and and less will be as dangerous. And I think um, you know, unlucky not to get that first win or even a, get get a draw out of the first game and just get their first points on the board, but. There's a lot for Leicester to look forward to, and I think they might be one of the teams that'll that'll survive. And like, like I think, like we said before, you don't win the champ. You you have to have some quality if you want to win the championship. And we're looking at the scores on the championship this first week. There's some crazy crazy numbers going on, uh, you know, this first week. So I think there is quality. So, but I think I think Leicester can can really go forward and take positives and say, you know, I think we can survive this season. 
Yeah, I think, you know, maybe one big lesson that I kind of felt that they, they could take away from it is, you know, they conceded the the second from kickoff from the first, you know, the, the ball gets kind of played back to Leicester's defence and Alicia Lehman's immediately pressing them and, and they end up giving the ball away and, and that's how Aston Villa gets second and um, Remy Allen, a former Leicester captain, uh, celebrating, which I love to see because I always find it bizarre when people don't celebrate against their former clubs. So shout out to Remy Allen for, for going for it. But, you know, just the, the pace and the intensity of the WSL, it's a bit of a cliche, but you kind of can't switch off for one moment because you'll you'll get punished because there are players there who who you know can kind of smell smell weakness in that sense so hopefully you know I think Aston Villa got caught out by that a couple of times last season you know even thinking about when they played Manchester City in that opening game and they basically just got pressed pressed into making a million errors I think you could see that from from Leicester again I think it just shows that the, the jump from the championship that intensity is obviously a bit different in in that league below um, but another team who'd have been happy to get the win was Tottenham playing at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. They beat Birmingham 1-0 in, uh, I've got to be honest, quite a dull game. I personally found it. Um, Pitt Graham scored the only goal. Um, Tottenham had kind of set up a training ground corner and Graham played a dangerous cross into the box, which ended up floating all the way through into the Birmingham City net. Um, this performance just felt quite ominous for Birmingham you know they they didn't really create anything they looked you know kind of vulnerable to being to being broken on and honestly Tottenham they were suffering from Brighton and West Ham-itis of just taking shots as soon as they reached the edge of the penalty area but I think they could have had more if they'd been um you know a bit more conscious of of where they were shooting from and how those opportunities were opening up uh, I thought Angela Addison looked really good Kit Graham had a great game so maybe I will be wrong about my Rahan Skinner Tottenham prediction. Uh, but as I say, I feel like this result might say more about Birmingham than it does about uh, Tottenham. And Abdullah, the, the question on everyone's lips, is this the season where Kit Graham finally lights up the WSL? I think it's, um, I think we have to be wary. I think, like you said, this, this says more about Birmingham City than it does about Spurs. Can Kit Graham light up the WSL. Like you said, she scored 16 goals in 19 games in her final championship season. And I think kind of living up to that is, is a tough going. I, I know we saw Ebony Salmon when she was playing for Bristol, you know, near the, near the bottom of the table, but she scored some important goals and she scored a decent amount of goals. And obviously she gets picked up by in the NWSL and she moves across to the end of her season. But I don't know. I think, I think it's very, very tough to, 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 to score. I mean, if you can score, I mean, if you're on the bottom five and you can, your striker can score you, 10 plus goals you're pretty much guaranteed pretty much guaranteed to stay in the division and if Tottenham can do that I think they'll do really really well I don't know I think I think we're going to have to see a couple of more games and see her score maybe a couple of weeks on the bounce even if it is a goal to see how it goes because like we said Birmingham City aren't great they had an xg of 0.28 versus Spurs is 0.86 so you know if they can score from a seemingly training ground corner routine then um I don't see how I, you know, that, that, I think that's just something to be wary of. I, I think we're going to have to see how Graham does in the next few games before we can make a real judgment on whether she's going to be able to um, be this elite striker for Spurs and um, and kind of take it uh, and take her them forward. Uh, otherwise, yeah, I think overall, I think it's it's just one to watch. Yeah, I'm really excited to see actually, you know, how this this Spurs team kind of kind of shakes out. Um, 
there were some minutes for Ashley Neville, who we kind of stopped seeing at the end of last season. She's kind of come back in and Asmita Ale playing on the right as well. So, if, you know, it feels like Tottenham's strength has often been it, it's in the WSL, I've thought, has been his fullbacks. And, um, you know, even though Siri Vaughan has left them and I know Theo Lloyd-Hughes is crying regularly about it, it feels like there's some hope on the fullback front for, for Tottenham still. Um, but that kind of wraps up our WSL weekend analysis. A bit of a quicker one from us, obviously, given our hostess with the mostess is away. Um, next week's fixtures, we've got Chelsea Everton, West Ham Villa, Birmingham Brighton, Leicester Man United, Reading Arsenal and City Spurs. Abdullah, is there anything you're particularly looking forward to next week? Where, where do you think we should be focusing our attention? I think, I think the Chelsea bounce back is real. Uh, I, I, unfortunately, Everton were the, on the receiving end after a Chelsea lost to the Barcelona in the Champions League final. They got thumped three 0 in that in that FA Cup game. Funnily enough, they played three at the back for the first time that time. Probably going to see that again next week. So I think that's a, that's one to look out for. But personally, I think uh, I'm I'm intrigued by the Leicester Man United game. Leicester had a decent game going forward this week. United looked good overall. I want to see how how those two kind of play out. So those would be my two games and uh, and, and just. You know, shout out. I kind of want. I just low key kind of want to see what Arsenal do against Reading in terms of a uh, in terms of having a free flowing attack. So I would say Chelsea, Everton, Leicester, Man United. What about you? Yeah, I totally agree. I think that Leicester Man United's got lots of nice, tasty narrative nuggets. You know, um, Tash Flint was a kid at United. Obviously, just Sigsworth's just left, so that's quite a fun front two to, to come up, you know, really test this new look Manchester United defence. I definitely think they will give them more problems than um, than Emma Harry's managed to. Uh, yeah, equally, Chelsea Everton, I think, uh, could be could be a tough day for Everton. As you said, Chelsea don't take, you know, revenge lightly. They they really go in hard when they've they've been hurt. And I think that that might be the case. Um, I think, you know, maybe a bit off the, the beaten track, a bit of a less obvious one, West Ham, Villa, I think, could be an interesting matchup. Two teams who, you know, I think both of them have the opportunity to push on a lot this season. Both of them have brought in lots of new players. Um, Alicia Lehman, you know, kind of returning to the Dagenham Stadium. Uh, so that, that could be a bit of a, an interesting one, I think. Um, you know, it's going to be great to start to see how some of these smaller teams uh, look as, as we get underway, as everyone kind of gets up to speed, um, picks up match fitness. Um, so, yeah, a uh, little bit of housekeeping. Uh, a reminder that there is still time to vote for us in the Football Content Awards. You can check out our Twitter for more information about how to vote. Um, we are at box to box wsl um, We'll put info up and updates on the podcast. We'll, we'll obviously be back next week. Um, hopefully with Alex, if she decides that she wants to come back to England rather than just stay in Spain forever. Although I will say she's chosen the wrong week to go away because it is 26 degrees this week. So summer has finally arrived here in the UK. Abdullah will be pleased that we're no longer moaning about how cold it is. Um, <laughs> he's fist pumping in excitement. Um, but for now, thanks very much, everyone. Um, hopefully we'll drop in some thoughts from Alex as well. So you'll get her takes on the weekend and, and we'll speak to you next week. See you next week.